0: Jesus Christ gave us a, a promise that he would never leave us or forsake us. God is with you, and he will always be with you, and we can take that to the bank. Amen. I give honor to the uh, uh, brother uh, Balgi and his wife, the first lady, for allowing us to be with you over these last few days. I give honor to the leaders of leadership of this church, um, uh, brother and sister Conrad, we 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 were able to meet them. They surprised us one Sunday morning in Lowell, Massachusetts, and uh, getting ready to start the service and the side door opened and this troop of people walked in. And um, we, we, by the way, we set them to work right away. We got, uh, I I forget all the names of your sons, but we had them play the keyboard. My wife got a break from the keyboard and we were so excited about all that. But, you know, we appreciate them and their their uh, spirit, uh, the desire that they have in their heart to do a work for God. And, and again, all of you that were involved over the last few days in the, uh, the teaching, plowing before the harvest, we appreciate all that you did for that to make that a success. Give yourself a hand clap. God will honor all the things that we do for him. He will, he will bless those things. Um, as long as we are consistent with his word, as long as we are uh, sensitive to his spirit and his leading. Um, I want us to turn today, if you have your Bible, to 1 Corinthians. Um, We'll be reading from a very short verse of scripture, uh, verse 16. um, and uh, I'm sorry, uh, chapter uh, 16 and verse um, 9, I believe I have it. Do you have that up there? And uh, I don't know what your tradition is here. If you feel to stand for reading of the Word, you can do that. But it's a very short verse of Scripture. The Lord spoke to me a few weeks ago, and He had me uh, go to this Scripture, and uh, we'll be reading from uh, Acts, the eighth chapter, in a, in a bit. Uh, you can keep your finger in Acts chapter 8, and we'll be going there. But the Scripture for our reading today, for our hearing, is in... 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, and it says, For a great, this is Paul speaking, a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. You can be seated. We have a door. And a lot of, by the way, I, I believe... The, the Lord has showed me that there are many here that will personally understand this concept of an open door. You are here today in this church because a door was open for you. An opportunity was open for you. And we're going to talk about what that, op- or that, that door looks like. And so that you understand, those of you that are not familiar with open doors and understanding the, the, the principle, the biblical principle of an open door, I want to share with you some things out of the Scripture in a personal um, uh, situation that happened in my life where I became very acutely aware of God opening a door, opening an opportunity, and he's going to do that continually continually in this church, you are gonna be part of witnessing an open door, and I want to try to help you today to be able to recognize that door so that you just don't kind of blindly pass by that door and miss God, miss God. I've missed God. I'll, I'll be the first to raise my hand, Brother Balgi. I miss God at times, and I realized very shortly thereafter when I miss God, I had to get down on my hands and knees and pray before him and ask him again another opportunity. Don't, don't let me miss it again, Lord. I need, to, I need to find another opportunity to be able to do what you want me to do. Today, we came into this building, you and I, and we did not come uh, through the door that maybe we opened, but we could have. Somebody opened it for us. It was... Um, Uh, uh, to gain access to the building. And I'm glad the door was open because we were able to come in here and get out of the cold. But the door was open. We walked through the door to gain access to the building today. And we call that the entrance, the, the entryway to come into this church. God will open up a door for you and I that will be an entrance to something that he wants us to be involved in, something that he wants us to do And we must understand today that he's equipped us through his word to be able to do whatever he chooses to uh, bring before us. He's not going to expect you to do something that he has not already enabled you to do. And by the way, I really appreciate The one thing that really impresses me about New Life is you have such a tremendous youth group. You know, young people that want to be used of God. Already God is using them in many ways, and they'll continue to be used by God. That's the future of this church, and I'm so excited. And I believe they have opened doors before them. I can remember when I was their age. I was in college, and I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Kind of had an idea what I wanted to study there. But I had no idea where that was going to lead me, that Four years that I spent in college, I had no idea where that was gonna lead me, but I knew the one thing that I wanted to do is I wanted to change the world. I wanted to change the world. I was a million miles from God. I had no idea that I'd be standing behind a pulpit some 40 some odd years later. I had no idea that was gonna happen, but I wanted to change the world and doors began to open for me. And to this very day, I can tell you, I believe God opened a lot of those doors. He set me on a path, and I had no idea where I was going to end up. But I knew that I had to change the world. And some of these young people, they are gonna change the world. God is gonna have a path for them, direction for them, and they are gonna change their world. And, and I've thought about this over the pandemic the whole situation, all this nonsense that we've had to go through. Growing up, I never had to experience what these young people are experiencing today. Right. Nothing like that had ever happened to us. And, you know, I, I sometimes would like to sit down with some young people and talk to them about what their, what their feelings are, the experiences that they're having, uh, the difficulty they're having with those experiences. You know, there's a lot of peer pressure, a lot of societal pressures on them, but I'm here to say that when God opens a door for us to do work for him, we're going to talk about that, we're going to talk about service, we're going to talk about God allowing us to be used for his kingdom work. The door before us, if we, if we ignore that door, it will be shut. If we pass it by, it will be shut. If we think there is another door, and the door that we have before us will be shut, we need to understand that when God opens up a door, the Bible says no man can close it. No man's going to be able to close that door. Only our response to that open door. We must be obedient children to what God wants us to do. We need to walk through the door that he opens for us. And we need to understand that no man will shut that door. And when I work with uh, the altar, with people that are coming there, especially young people, I'll tell them that God is going to open a door for you. And don't ever forget the fact that no man is going to shut that door. You are the one that is responsible for responding to the open door that God has set before you. That door is going to be different for each and every one of us. It's going to look different to each and every one of us. And I'm going to again try to help you today to see that door for what it is. The amplified version of 1 Corinthians 16 and, uh, 16 and 9 renders it this way. For a wide door of opportunity for effectual service, service has opened to me a great and promising one. And there are many adversaries. The devil, he can see what's happening in your life. He can see what's happening in my life. He's going to raise up opposition to what we want to do. Invariably, it happens all the time. So we kind of get used to it. When something great is happening, right away, something sometimes awful will happen. Sometimes things will come up that will kind of knock us back on our heels. What was that all about? We were just having a great revival last week. And all of a sudden, it seems like all hell is going to break loose. That's the operation, the modus operandi of the devil. He's trying to discourage us, trying to get us to, to give up. The Greek rendering of this text talks about a continuing opportunity. That's the perfect tense, the door stands open. It's a continuing opportunity. With great opportunity, there comes great opposition. So what's so important about a door? It's an entrance to something as we said. It controls the entrance and it controls the exit. We talk about in our prayer walks, gates to the city, portals. And those are the doors that the, the enemy will come through. Those are the doors that the Lord will open. Let me give you a picture of what a door might look like. It was a number of years ago. We were in our big house in Hollis, New Hampshire. And it was a Saturday. It was probably the summer, summertime because I remember when I went outside, uh, uh, it, it, seemed, it was a warm day. Could have been the spring, but it was probably the summertime. And my wife, I was probably, I think I was in the basement, and she came and opened the door of the basement and said, there's somebody coming to the front door, and you need to go out there and see who that is. We kind of lived off the highway, and kind of had a, um, a private road that went up to where our house was. There were two other houses up there. And uh, not, it, wasn't, it wasn't a common thing for people to come up to our driveway. Somebody came up there and I walked out of the garage. My wife said he's, got, he's up at the front door. I went up to the front door. Actually, I walked up the walkway to the front door and he was coming back the other way. And I asked him, I said, can I help you? And he said, um, uh, yes, I'm, I'm selling a dry cleaning service. And I just wanted to know if you'd be interested in the dry cleaning service that I'm, that I'm promoting. His name was Nick. I introduced myself to him, and he introduced himself to me. His, his name was Nick, a young man, um, and he uh, he just said, "This is what we're doing. what I'll do what we do is we come to your house, we'll give you a bag, you put your suits or your jackets in the bag, and I'll take them away. I'll pick it up. you can put it on the porch, I'll pick it up, and then in a couple of days, I'll bring you back your your suits, all pressed and dry cleaned And I told Nick I said." You know, I, I can probably use that. That's, that's kind of a convenient thing. I don't have to find the dry cleaner. I don't have to drive into town, and I can just do that. And I said, but I'm not going to be able to uh, really give you a lot of business, I said. And I, and I stopped for a moment, and I thought, and I said to Nick, I said, you know, downtown, in this, maybe a mile away, is the Congregational Church, Nick. He was, from a, he was from the city, uh, Nashua, New Hampshire, which is about 10 miles away. And I said, uh, you might want to go down to that uh, congregational church. Talk to the pastor. I know there's a lot of people in the congregational church down there. In the town that we lived in, in Hollis, there were a lot of lawyers, uh, doctors, CEOs. It was a pretty affluent town. And... I, that's what I said to him, and he responded to me, and it kind of threw me off at first. He said, Now we're talking about dry cleaning service here, right? Dry cleaning service. Nick says to me, I don't think Jesus would like that. I don't think Jesus would like that. Ding dong ding-dong, the open door, the open door. And I understood exactly what he was talking about. And I paused for a moment and I said, Nick, I don't think that's what the Bible was really referring to when Jesus, you know, he went into the temple and he threw out those money changers. I don't think it's the same thing. I said, you're going to go down there, you're going to talk to the pastor there and he's going to allow you or not allow you to go in there. And then my next words to Nick were, would you like a Bible study? That's the picture of an open door. And we, we have to kind of slow down, start going in slow motion instead of, you know, rushing here and there and everywhere. Let's slow down and have our thought processes working and allow the Lord to work in our lives right at that very moment. So I said to Nick, would you like a Bible study? And Nick said, you'll teach me a Bible study? And I said, yeah, if you come here at Tuesday at uh, 5.30 in the evening, if you can make it 5.30 in the evening, we'll start you uh, on a Bible study. And Nick thought for a few minutes, and he says, yeah, that's about the time I get out of work, and it'll take me about 10 minutes to get here. And my wife, she was so gracious for the, the times that he came to the house. She would make him dinner. He was a single man, make dinner. And then after we had dinner, we would sit there at the kitchen table. I'd uh, open up my search for truth chart, and we'd start the Bible study. And that Bible study, some, some nights went till like 12, 1230 in the morning. He had, Nick had a lot of questions. He had a lot of issues in his life, as we soon discovered. And I just wanted to share that picture of an open door. And those happen all the time. I can't tell you how many other times we've had opportunities, those open doors. We also see in the Bible, and I'll share with share with you this in a few minutes, but we also have um, uh, an understanding that these opportunities are gonna be great opportunities. They're not just passing opportunities, they'll be great opportunities for us. Everybody say great opportunity. Everybody want to have a great opportunity. I I love to have those opportunities. I love the times where God will send somebody to me, or I will meet somebody. Um, You know, I'll just start a conversation with somebody. And my, my wife and I went to Lowell, Massachusetts. It was just her and me. And I asked her, I said, how are we going to meet people? We don't know anybody in Lowell. I went to school there, but I didn't know any individuals in the city. I I knew the city because, like I said, I I spent time there at the university. So I knew the city, but I didn't know anybody. So we thought about it for a minute, and and what did we come up with? Let's go to Walmart. (laughs) Let's go to Walmart. There's a lot of people at Walmart. So that's what we did. And you know what we did? And again, you might try this. What we did is we just started walking down the aisles and started listening what are the people talking about? And we I think, if I, if I remember correctly, my wife was walking down one of the aisles, and there were two ladies talking, and she picked up on the conversation. It wasn't eavesdropping, but she just picked up on the conversation, and I believe church was part of that conversation. And then the then the, the, the two kind of broke up. I don't think they were together. They They were just... Communicating with each other, and my wife went over to one of the ladies, and you know, explained to her that we were starting a church in Lowell, and and you know, um, if she would be interested to in coming to the church, you know, we would uh, we'd appreciate that because we were just trying to start out. And sure enough, she wanted to come visit our church. We had to go pick her up. She didn't have a, a way to get to the church, so we would visit, we'd go to her apartment and we'd pick her up. So. Again, there's so many different ways. You meet people on the street, start a conversation. These are the open doors that God has given to us. Someone once said, the opportunity does not send a letter of introduction. But God has sent us a book with an uh, introduction to the opportunity of a lifetime. This book, his word, the Bible, it has given us the opportunity to be of service to Him. Amen? So I'm so thankful that I have the Bible. I have His his Word. And I spent 15 years in California. That's where I got saved. I'm originally from the East Coast. And as I said, uh, when I got out of school, I spent some time there on the East Coast working. And then I knew for what I wanted to do, I wanted to design microprocessors, I had to go to California. And when I got there, Intel hired me. Actually, they hired me and then uh, paid for my trip to California, the Bay Area, San Francisco, Silicon Valley. My wife talked about that, where the computer chips were, were designed. And what was interesting about that job was I I didn't learn any of that stuff in school because it it wasn't even in existence. We were there starting, doing things from uh, scratch. We We didn't have, I didn't have the education to design those things because those things hadn't been invented. So I can remember the first project I was on, it was a microprocessor that actually introduced computers, PCs, into the world and we were designing those chips for, the, for that, uh, that computer. And I can remember my boss, he would come to me and he would tell me, he'd say, uh, this is what I want you to be working on for the next couple months, and I'd look at what he gave me, I'd look it over, and the first words out of my mouth to him was, that's impossible, that's impossible. And he said, it might be impossible, but I want you to figure it out. That's the life of an engineer. You've you got to figure it out. That's why we're paying you the big bucks. And so I would, I would, you know, I'd try to do whatever I needed to do to get that thing designed, and then he'd come to me with another uh, uh, project on that uh, microprocessor, and he'd say, I want you to work on this now. And I'd say, well, i look at it, that's impossible. That's, uh, that, was, that was a common phrase that I would use time and time again when he gave me something to work on. So I felt... I, I got tired of saying that, so on my whiteboard, I put in letters, big black letters on my whiteboard, opportunities are often brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. Sometimes those situations that you're facing, uh, whether it's witnessing to people, maybe family members that you're you're trying to win to the Lord, um, uh, co-workers you're trying to win to the Lord, you may look at those and say, that's an impossible situation. Look at all the mess that they're in. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if the Lord will uh, uh, equip me to be able to, to make the, the right, uh, uh, to, to share with them what I need to share with them to win them to the Lord. I know all of us, I have, a, I have an unsaved family. I, I baptized my mom when she was 76 years old. I'd been praying for her and my, my dad for years and years and years. And finally my dad passed away and my, wife, my my mom came to visit me in California. My wife had been giving my mom a uh, search for truth over the phone. 3,000 miles away doing a search for truth over the phone. My wife, uh, My mom came and visited us and we asked her if she was ready to be baptized in Jesus' name? And she says, yes. So at th- 76 years old, I baptized her in Jesus' name. She went back She went back to New York. There was an apostolic church, Brother Hibbert, Anthony Hibbert, in Newburgh, New York, apostolic church. She started going to his church, and God filled her with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So you just never know. You never know. There's o- op- opportunities, open doors. A door of opportunity for what? Let's talk about that for a minute. You know, we talked about what an open door looks like, but what kind of things can we expect as we go through that open door? We have a door of opportunity for blessings. The The church that we, uh, we have in Lowell, Massachusetts, there's a Spanish church. The pastor there, Pastor Marta, and her husband, Anthony, they are the ones that have the building, and they allowed us to come in and share the building with them. And I always liked going out with Anthony. We'd always go down the street, and he always had a, a handful of tracks that he carried with him. And he was as we walked down the, the, the downtown of, of, of Lowell, kind of like the downtown here of Goshen, walking down the street, he's handing out tracks, handing out tracks, handing out tracks. And I liked talking with Anthony because he was always talking about the blessing. Oh, that's a blessing. That's a blessing. That's blessing this, blessing that. And I was always, I always felt good about that. No, understanding that he has a very positive attitude and he believes that God is going to bless him and his family and bless those that he gives those tracks to. This opportunity of blessing, we receive it or we, we it's in receiving, receiving what God has uh, for us. He is the the author of the blessing he is the giver of the blessing, and we understand it comes all blessings come from God and our church in San Jose, California, uh, brother shoemaker, he used to preach from um, uh, Matthew chapter six and, and verse uh, thirty three and that verse of scriptures tells us that we can never outgive God, we can never outgive God, and you know we have desires to earn a living we have a desires to to succeed in life but we can we can never outgive god he's going to give us in abundance uh the the scripture that he that he um he preached to us many years this scripture seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you That was branded in my heart as a new convert. And to this very day, it's there that if I ever uh, find myself in a place where I start to try to move ahead of God, I stop and realize that God is going to be, um, he won't be happy with that. And then I have to give him um, what he needs, and that is my service. He wants our service, Amen. And we have an opportunity with this door of blessings for salvation. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. He is the blesser. He wants to bless you. He wants to bless me. We need to understand that. We're we're not here doing this on our own. We're not doing this in a vacuum. God is with us wherever we go. We are benefited with every, everybody say every, every heavenly benefit. Not just some, not just a few, but every. That's exciting to know That we can have every blessing. Man, I'm about to lose my message here. Every blessing, amen. I'm so excited to know that. Most people, uh, you know, even Walmart employees uh, complain about their benefits programs, Social Security, Medicare. What, what, what are you going to give me to work for you? What are you going? What, what benefits do you have? above and beyond what you're gonna compensate me for. I wanna know what those benefits are. They have a, what they call the benefit program. And I can remember uh, in San Jose, there was a, I, I worked in the, in the industry, in the, in the corporate world for 44 years before I retired, 44 years. And that first job at Intel that I had, I worked there for three years, and then in the future I worked another three years, so a total of six years. But in Silicon Valley, there are companies everywhere. And invariably, what would happen was I'd be working in a company, working with other people, and they would, uh, they would get a, uh, an opportunity to go to another company, and they would leave, and then the phone would ring, and they'd call me and say, hey, hey, you need to come over here because you know, they'll pay you more money. And I thought to myself, that's cool. I can do the same thing over there that I was doing here. They'll pay me more money. And for a while, that was, that was okay. But then, you know, like I said, that happened a number of times. I can't tell you how many different jobs I had uh, when I was in, 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 uh, in the Bay Area. Um, it seemed like every three years I was changing a job, but it was either to advance myself into another higher level of engineering, doing something a little bit different, um, certainly advanced myself financially, but then I started looking at the benefits. What are the benefits? And uh, every company was different. Some would give you uh, more vacation time. Some would give you flexible hours. You know, some would even let you make your own hours. And then in, at the end of my career, the company I worked at in Manchester, uh, New Hampshire, Texas Instruments, They would allow us to work from home. Can you imagine working from home? And in the wintertime, it was great. I didn't have to get out in the snow, get on the highway, you know, get bogged down in the snow and the cold. I could work from home. But I can remember this one time. We had moved moved out of the Bay Area, came back east. We were working in uh, Burlington, uh, Massachusetts at a company called Sun Microsystems. And I remember the interview. Again, the same thing. I was a manager there at the beginning. I started managing. And they talked about the benefits program. And all the that they had the, the have a standard uh benefits program, uh, again, flexible hours. Uh um, you know, they didn't have working at home at that time, but uh you could uh, uh I don't know, there were just so many different programs these people had, but the one thing that they had, it was the first time in all those years I worked that they, I never had before, is they had what they called stock options. And I thought, that's interesting, they started telling me about that. And then I said, oh, that's cool, you're gonna give me some stock for working for you. And they said, yeah, and they explained how it all worked. Uh, we'll, We'll give you a block of stock, in this case, they gave me 5,000 shares of stock. And I thought, wow, 5,000 shares. That's, that's pretty good. And um, they said that every, every year you would be vested and you could get like one-fifth. Every year of employment I could get one-fifth and then the one-fifth after that year. And all that meant is I could sell it, whatever the market price was, and the money was mine. It was like added, added cash, kind of a like a bonus kind of a thing. So I, I got home and I told my wife about it and um, we decided that, yeah, that's, that would be a good place to work. The benefits are very nice. And then um, I thought about it, I gave him my answer, but we were just getting ready to go to General Conference. And I told him I can't start work right now because I'll be, I'll be gone, I'll be out of town for a little bit, going to General Conference. But this is my start date, so we went to general Conference, and was as our tradition, when we go to these different uh, services, we were in the in the global mission service, and they were taking up the offering and My wife and I again, what we would typically do, she would be praying about it i 'd be praying about it, and we kind of compare notes we 'd be sitting on the pew there. What is God telling you, what is God telling you and and then we would come up with uh, what we were going to put in the offering. And, and usually it was the same number. So we knew that it was God. So we, we, we came up with this very large number that we were going to give to Global Missions that year. And I thought to myself, Lord have mercy. How are we going to pay that? And then I thought to myself, okay, well, this year we're not going to buy a car. We're not going to buy a car this year. We'll have to wait till next year to buy a car. So we did that. We left. Uh, general conference, and and I went to start on the job. The first day there, HR called me in, sat me down, and they went over the benefits package and everything, and and then I was going to sign the paperwork to, to make it official. And then they stopped, and they said to me, oh, oh, we made a mistake. We made a mistake on your on your stock options, they said. And I thought, okay, they're gonna, they're gonna take it away. They're gonna take it away, and uh, That's okay, because I never had it before, and if I don't have it now, um, well, you know, that's the way it is, that's life. They said to me, we made a mistake. Instead of giving you 5,000, we should have given you 10,000 shares. Yeah. So, yeah. they doubled it, 10,000, can you imagine? 10,000 shares? I thought, I got home and I told her all of that, and I said, we're going to be spending our retirement on the beaches of Hawaii. (laughs) So, uh, but I don't know if I should tell you the rest of the story. What happened was the company, in those those one-year increments over five years, the company started going down, 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 down. And by the time the five years was up, and I, and I held on to them. I, I, didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't cash them in. I didn't, uh, ec- they call it exercising your option. I didn't exercise the option uh, until towards the end when the company was going down like this. And then the, the minimum price that they had, the stock on the, on the open market was less than what the minimum was there. So there was basically that much in my, in terms of value. So. But I said all that to say God's benefits are everlasting we never have to worry about God uh, ever running out of anything he has uh, he has an unlimited an unlimited supply and let's not complain about you know what we don't have let's proclaim what we have amen let's proclaim what God has given us let's let's shout, you know shout the victory God has given us he's provided for us He's supplied our every need amen And he will continue to do that. We're talking here about the blessings that we have. We have the blessings of the presence of God, amen? Amen. He is with us. The Bible says that he will be with you always, Matthew 28 and and, and 20. He'll be with you always. He's never going to leave you or never going to forsake you. That's a great blessing. And I'm glad he's with us. I'm glad he, he's there. I can remember a, a few years ago, again, we were up in the, we call it the big house in, in Hollis. It was the winter time, And uh, I, I usually got to work early. I had about a half hour drive to get to work. And I, and I got, I backed my car out of the garage. And I noticed my shed, the door on my shed was open. So I, I put the car in park and I got out of the car, I walked over to the shed and I closed the shed door and I put the little latch on there to lock it and I was walking back to the car. And there was a, there was a light dusting of snow in the, in the, in the night that was covering the, um, the asphalt and I didn't know, but there was a thin layer of ice underneath that dusting of snow. And as I was getting close to the car, my feet went out from under me. And the back of my head preceded the rest of my body to the asphalt. And I hit that pavement. I felt the thud. I could hear the thud. And I thought to myself, this is really, really bad. And the first words out of my mouth when I hit that pavement was, Jesus, help me. I knew that something very serious had happened. As a matter of fact, I reached to the back of my head to see if any of my any of my brain had fallen onto the pavement. I mean, it was really, I mean, I knew something bad had happened. And then I, I sort of was stunned, kind of shocked, laying there, and I'm thinking to myself, I, I, I feel all right. I mean, it, it was a pretty heavy duty shock that hit me when that happened. And then I just kind of started moving my legs. They seemed to be working. My arms seemed to be working. So I just kind of rolled over and got up, got in the car, you know, put it in gear and drove to work like nothing happened. See, he was there. He was there when I called him. The Bible says he will be with you even in those times of trial, even in those times of um, uh, testing, even in those times of um, trouble. We have trouble we find ourselves in. He says, I will be with you always. We're never alone. If you ever think you're alone, just call upon his name. He'll always be there. He'll, he'll hear you. He'll answer you. He provides for us. He's our provider. Amen? Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4 verse 19, he says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches, not according to me, not according to what I have, but His riches in Jesus Christ. He benefits, benefits us because He protects us. He's your protection. And we talked about this in our, in our training, at, uh, uh, I believe it was yesterday. He's our shield. He gives us the shield of faith that protects us against the fiery darts He's our rock. He is a solid foundation. I can, I can, if I'm on that rock, I know that all those winds will blow and it, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be on the solid rock. This world is nothing but quicksand, sinking sand. We have that promise that he is our rock. He is our fortress. And as I thought about this, I thought, about that song we used to sing. You know, you young people, you have these great songs that you have, and I like them. Don't get me wrong, I like them. But some of the songs that we used to sing, Brother Conrad, when we were growing up, and I I think back, back on those. When I came to the altar, and I lifted up my hands, and they were singing some of those old songs. I'm not gonna do that today, I promise. I'm not gonna sing those old songs. But there was the one song that came to mind when I, when I was putting this together. It talked about a strong and mighty tower. He's a strong and mighty tower, a shelter like no other. He's a shelter like no other, Brother Balky. A shelter. Can you imagine? I don't care what kind of storm you're facing in life right now, what kind of trial you're facing. He is a shelter like no other, Proverbs 18 and 10. Our present help in a time of danger, as we we're talking about, the trouble that we're in, Psalms 46 and 1. You know, when the buildings crumble and our world is shaken, we are on a firm foundation. You know, we can just go with it. You know, we can feel it. In California, it's, it's, it's really a, it should be called the capital of rock and roll because when those earthquakes come, you, if you've ever, never experienced an earthquake, it's, it's pretty intense. Things, the building starts to creak. and the, it, what, How we know is like if you have a chandelier in your house, all of a sudden that thing will start going like that. Oh, that was an earthquake. But we know that he is he's our present help. Our door of opportunity for blessing should lead us to walk through the door of opportunity. Again, here it is, Brother Baldy. Service, it's an opportunity for service, amen? Today we have an opportunity for service, ministry, a service to be uh, it's, uh, serving our Savior, amen? Jesus is an equal opportunity Savior. He's an equal, I don't care what your background is, what your education is, um, how strong you are, you may be very athletic and you can, you can play football or basketball, or whatever. It doesn't matter what those added things that you have to bring to the, his kingdom. He is an opportunity, or he is an equal opportunity savior. Enlarging the kingdom of God is our job. We need to enlarge the kingdom of, of God. We need to engage in kingdom activities. Amen. Amen. when we share, we don't share us, our church building or our way of thinking. We share Jesus. We share Jesus. If you have your Bible, as I said, turn to the, the eighth chapter of the book of Acts. And uh, I was sharing with pastor before the service today. Uh, I was in prayer a couple weeks ago. And uh, this happens to me. I don't know if it happens to my wife or happens to any of you, but in prayer, the Lord spoke to me, and he does this quite often in prayer. He said to me, I says, he said, I want you to read the, uh, the eighth chapter of the book of Acts today, please. And I said, yes, sir, I'll read it. And I had no idea what he wanted me to read, but I just decided that's the Lord speaking to me. I'm going to be a faithful servant, and I'm going to read what he had to say. So as I began to read that, I began, it began to, it's, you know, it's, like, it's kind of a lengthy chapter, but I began to look in there and, and I saw some things in there that um, I, I realized that's what he wanted me to, to understand and read. And the, the story is the story of Philip, the evangelist Philip, not the apostle Philip, the evangelist Philip. He's up in Samaria He's going back to a place that Jesus was at, at, you know, back a few years before that. And Jesus was planting some seeds up there in Samaria. And now Philip was up there, and he was reaping the harvest in Samaria, the seeds that Jesus had planted. You know the lady at the well that Jesus was talking to the Samaritan lady. Those, and, then what, and then just keep reading that. Beyond that time and you 'll see what she did. she went out and she began to talk to the men. She began to communicate to the men, telling them that this was this this man that met me at the well. this man is the messiah, so Philip is up there now. Philip is up there evangelizing and there and let me read here uh, it 's hard for me to read the the, the verse here because um, the printing 's so small I think it 's verse six it says, therefore those who were were scattered, went everywhere, preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame, the lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. Many. Well, it says the multitudes. Anybody here know what a multitude? How much, how much is it in a multitude? You know how many are in a multitude? A hundred? A thousand. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell me that. It just says a multitude. He was having a great revival up in Samaria. A tremendous revival. You know, in San Jose, we, we had revivals there where um, it was a, kind of a large church. 250 people would get the Holy Ghost. And my wife and I, we were, in the, we were over the discipleship ministry, the new converts ministry. Can you imagine a class of 250 people? We had 250 people, we had to figure out how we were going to disciple. We only had two classrooms, so we had a courtyard out by the uh, uh, entrance of the church, and we decided to put chairs out in the courtyard. So we were, we were teaching him out in the courtyard. But a multitude here, he's having a great revival. And then as we read down a little bit further, down in, um, again, excuse me for not being able to read the verse here because it's so small. I think it's 26. It says, now, everybody say Now. Now. now the door begins to open. It doesn't say that, but that's what happened here. The angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. My wife and I have been to Israel a number of times. She's been there a few more times than I have. And it is a desert down there. But that's not what that word means. That word desert there means there's very few people there. Now, can you imagine being an evangelist? Multitudes are responding to your preaching, and the angel of the Lord is speaking to you and says, shut it down, Philip. I want you to go down to Gaza. What would our reaction to that be? What does it say that Philip's reaction was? So he arose, and what did he do? He went. You know, that's going to happen to us at times. We'll find ourselves in uh, powerful revivals. We'll we'll find ourselves in the powerful moves of God, and God will say, now it's time to go, and we're going to have to submit. Another word we're talking about here today is submission. We need to submit. To the opening door that God puts before us. The door that is open. So he went and behold a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace the queen of the Ethiopians. Who had charge over her treasury and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, he was going back home. He got in his RV and he's headed back home. Well, the Bible says it was his chariot, but he was a man of authority, Brother Balgi. He probably, he probably was, had a pretty good rig. He had a good rig there, right? It was his, his, that was his RV. He was headed down there. I don't know if it was air-conditioned. He might have had some people up there, you know, with the air-conditioner fan. But that, when I read the Bible now, young people, this is, this is what I see in there. I see stuff like that. I see that, those kind of things. And I'll, and I'll show you some other things that the Lord showed me that you kind of have to think about what's going on here. You have, kind of have to jump over there where he's at and look around and see the kind of surroundings that he's experiencing there. So that's what I do when I read the Bible. And so he was reading Isaiah the prophet. We've talked about, she read the scripture from Luke, but that was a paraphrase of Isaiah. And this reference here to Isaiah is Isaiah chapter 53. The Ethiopian eunuch. By the way, I asked this question when I was reading that. And I don't want to be um, inappropriate or gross here. But it says that he was a eunuch. How did Luke know he was a eunuch? Do you ever think about that? How did he know that? Well, when you, when you study it out, you find out that word eunuch has nothing to do with any physical, you know, whatever. It has to do with his position. It says he was, a, he was a, uh, in her treasury. He was a man of authority and power. They in, in Ethiopia, that's the term that they gave those individuals that uh, were in, in a, a position of authority. They, that's what they called them had nothing to do with any kind of physical or lack of physical things. So anyway, um, the Spirit of the Lord said to Philip, Go near and overtake the chariot. So Philip ran to him. Ran to him. The Spirit didn't tell him to go run to him, but Philip ran to him. How many of us um, tomorrow... Uh, you know, I can remember times when I would uh, get up on a Monday and I would run off to the bank or I'd run off to the post office, in particular the post office. I'd run there. I would run here and I'd run there um, just to take care of my daily business. How many here today can raise your hand and say, I run to people to tell them about Jesus. I'm going to run to people and I'm going to tell them everything that I know about Jesus. But Philip... The evangelist he runs to him, and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, "Again, this is that interaction that I talked about. You meet people on the street. He heard, and this was a common practice. If you're in Israel and you go to one of their uh, um, services, we went the last time we were in Israel. We went to one of their services on a Friday night, and uh, it was great. It was a great time. But they they pray out loud." And what's interesting, and you you know this, I'm not telling you something you don't already know. In, in particular, they were they were praying the psalms, they were singing the psalms. Actually, that's the way it was. They actually sang the psalms. Reread the psalms over there when you're in one of their services. They're singing the psalms, and because that, that's that's how those psalms are written in Hebrew. If we knew Hebrew, you'd understand why they do that. But he heard him because he was speaking out loud reading so he approached him again this is that interaction this is that divine appointment this is a divine appointment of the lord god has appointed um, philip to go and minister to this ethiopian eunuch and he says to him do you know what you're reading do you understand what you're reading and he said how can i this is the ethiopian speaking here how can i unless someone guides me you remember that interaction i had with nick Here's one here in the Bible. How can I, unless you help me to understand that? And then he asks Philip to come up and sit with him. So he said, Come on into my RV here. It's it's I got I got some air conditioning in here, and it'll keep us cool, and we can stay here all day, and you can uh, you know, you can share with me what uh and uh, give me the understanding of what I'm reading. And then I'm not gonna go through the scripture he's reading in Isaiah 53 here, but it says so the eunuch answered Philip and he said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or another man? Then Philip opened up his mouth. Got to open up our mouths when we talk to people, right? He opened up his mouth and, beginning at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, now you might. Ask yourself, self, what what was Philip preaching to him? What was he teaching him? You know, he's talking, he's preaching from Isaiah. He's telling him about who Isaiah is talking about here. But he's also telling him about salvation. He's also telling him about baptism in Jesus' name. And you might say to me, well, Brother Jasinski, uh, I don't see that here. I don't see that, him preaching that or teaching that. But when you go down a little bit further, now as they were down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hindereth me from being what? Baptized. Baptized. Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, this is not some, uh, you know, I know Pastor Balgi talked about this the other day. This is not uh, another different form of salvation. Because we know that Philip knew about, you know, baptism in Jesus' name. And he knew about being filled with the Holy Ghost. By the way, I didn't mention this when Philip was having that multitude being uh, baptized up there in Samaria, if you read the scripture, you'll find out that Peter and John, they caught wind of what was going on up in Samaria. So Peter and John, I think it was Peter and John, they went up to Samaria just to see what was going on. And when they got up there, they realized that Philip had been baptizing them all. Every one of those multitudes, they were being baptized. And when Philip and John came uh, I'm sorry, when uh, Peter and John went up there, they began to pray with these people, and they began to lay hands on those people, and they began to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But I just wanted to say here that, you know, he's not preaching or teaching some other doctrine, but to say that Jesus Christ, he is the Messiah, You need to be baptized in Jesus' name. And um, then, as they say, the rest is history. Philip gets carried away. Um, He goes to another place. Um, And as it turns out, Philip never went back to Samaria. At least the scriptures don't. Indicate that he goes up along the coast, uh, uh, the Via Mare up along the coast. He goes to Asdod and Ascamon and up to Caesarea and then maybe over a little to the inland. But he, he, he has revival all along the coast. So, what he left in Samaria. All along the coast, he was having revival after revival, going to all these different churches because you remember the the Christians, they were all scattered. The persecution was rampant in, in, in Jerusalem, so they're going up the coast, or he's going up the coast and having revival all the way up there. And then where does the Ethiopian go? He goes back to his homeland, Africa, Ethiopia. I don't know how long a journey that was, but... If you look at Ethiopia today, I, I, I did some research, and what, what I find interesting, it's an African country, but it's probably predominantly a Christian nation, and um, I, I think that one of those places over there, I forget what the city is, there's a, there's a church over there, and I saw a picture of it, and they've got this, this fence around this church with um, barbed wire, that concertina wire, over at the top, they don't want people to get in there because they say that the Ark of the Covenant is in that church. I don't know if it is or not, but that's what they say. But that's a Christian nation now, all because this Ethiopian, probably a proselyte—I don't know if he was a Jew, but he—he he, he certainly became a Christian after this. Goes back to his homeland and brings the message of salvation back to his people in Ethiopia. So, we need to engage in the community. Engage in your community for the kingdom of God. Don't just go, but engage. Talk to people. When we go out there in the future, talk to people. Allow them to... to, um, uh, hear the truth of the Word of God. There's so many churches. We talked about how many churches there were in Goshen, how many churches there are in the surrounding area. And just when we left the downtown, driving back here from downtown, where we prayed downtown, I, I think I counted about from there, I don't know how far miles was, but from there to here, I think I counted like four different churches. All different. There was like, I think, I'm not sure it was a Methodist, the one that had the, the steeple, and then there was a, a Mennonite church, and then but there was like four different churches that I that I counted just from there to here. So, it I, I have to believe that figure that I saw on, on Wikipedia is correct. There's probably, you know, um, a good number of churches in this city, but most of them aren't teaching the truth. Do teach them to observe all things that he commanded us. Be obedient. We need to be a service to the sinner. Don't just show the sinner. We need to go out there and we need to minister. We need to be able to uh, pray for them. You know, in Lowell, when we, were, when we first got there, it was just her and me. We were, we were the church for six months. We'd go there a Sunday, a Sunday morning, and some Sunday morning she would preach. The next Sunday morning I would preach. So we, you know, we just had to make sure our, Brother Balgi, our our sword was sharp. Make sure that we just don't, you know, cut a coast. So she would preach, because we never knew who was going to come in. We never knew if there was somebody going to come in, because we had invited people, and, uh, you know, we didn't know whether whether they were going to show up or not. So we need to share Jesus. We need to give the gift of life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We need to set the captives free. There's a lot of hurting people out there, a lot of people that are struggling. Young people, the, those that you your, of your age, they're out there, and they, they're suffering the same um, uh, mental whatever goes on in, in a young person's mind now. They're suffering the same things, and we need to be able to share with them hope. Jesus Christ and him crucified. He is our hope, our eternal hope. We have a door—a door of opportunity for reward. Today is a day of reward. Reward comes from the right action, the right choice. We need to choose Jesus. I don't have the time to give you about give you my testimony, and I will will uh, save that for another time. Uh, reward only comes from Jesus. Amen? Amen. Only from Him you will receive your reward. Colossians three and twenty-four. Paul writing here, he says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance. It is our Lord, Jesus, whom you serve. Amen? We are a child of the King. We are a child of God. We inherit everything that he has given us. Jesus is the door. John 10 and 9 in closing says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved, and I will go in, and out and find pasture. Today, we have an open door that's set before us. Why don't we all stand? And like I said at the beginning, I know that many of you understand what this door means because many of you, I don't know how long... uh, has anybody been in the church for, let's say, a, a month now or less than a month? I don't know how you came to this church, but I will guarantee that there was a door of opportunity presented to you as it was to me and as it was to my wife when we give you, if we give you our testimonies. And we had to make a choice. Either we were going to come in or be left out. And I'm glad... For 39 years, I've been serving the Lord. This year, 39 years serving the Lord, I'm glad I made the right choice. I'm glad I came to the truth. God, He showed me the way, as He showed many of you. Um, I don't know—is your—is your tradition to have people come around the altar and pray? Why don't you come up right now and let's just let's just pray together as the body of Christ. Let the let the Spirit of God minister to you. Maybe there's a need that you have today. Maybe there's an unspoken need that you have, and you're just asking the Lord to help you and and somebody that comes here will lay a hand on you and give you encouragement, help you to uh, reach a place in your life that will give you the, the peace of mind, the hope that you need. We ask you, Lord, to minister to these people today as they come. Let the Spirit of God work in their lives today.